that you can call on his name and he will answer. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. No When the sea, when the 
much hope in that isn't there. He's defeated the grave. You know, Mara and I were just talking this week about um, this, like, false message that's being preached that it's okay if the resurrection wasn't real. Like, it might just stand for something, right? And that is garbage theology. Because Paul says if the tomb is not empty, like if Jesus didn't defeat death, we are, what's the word? Pitied, to be pitied, thank you. We're to be pitied among all men. Like Jesus raising from the dead is everything to our our faith, right? Like the tomb is empty and we still celebrate Easter Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And this is what literally brings us hope, friends. We can claim what we did in that last song because he has defeated death. And this is what gives us victory even over sin now in our life. As we're going to sing, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. How many of y'all have just walked in your transgressions? Oh, is that just icky or what? Like God set up rules and boundaries (laughs) because it's for our good. He knew, but he also knew we'd we'd be tempted by that because sometimes sin feels good, right? But he said, this is the way I want you to walk. It might be hard, but follow my commands, walk in obedience, and he's going to give you the power and the strength to do that. Amen. Let's continue singing. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in Jesus paid
my death and raise this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raise this life up from the
thankful for the truth of that song. If you haven't heard, uh, Terry Seraldi completed her earthly journey yesterday afternoon. She's now worshiping her first Sabbath Sunday in heaven, which is great, great news for her. But obviously for many of us, it leaves a void and it's just beginning the next chapter, next part of time of grief. So we want to keep Bob, Holly, and Brian, the family in prayer, her, Heidi, her other daughter, and Chris. And, and, and you, your friends, her friends. Uh, she's touched many of your lives for decades. That's not a small thing. So we know the significance and that many of you are hurting as well. So we're going to keep that in prayer this morning. And we also know that many of you are carrying other burdens and needs. It's back to school week. Well, for some, that's a time of celebration. For others, it could be a difficult time, difficult season. We understand that just seems to be that's what life does things don't ever just pass or just new things that take their place that can weigh us down stress us out can distract us so these times of prayer are important they're not meant to replace your private personal times of prayer it's time for us to come together and to pray corporately as a body lifting up our voices to him one of the things I, I have not done here a lot but I like to do today and encourage you to do and I know I'm not everyone's comfortable with this I get it uh, but it, we did have done before what I've called a concert of prayer. We pray out loud together. It's a beautiful sound. It's a beautiful sound to us. Imagine how it sounds to our Heavenly Father. I want to encourage you today to join me this morning in a concert of prayer. We pray for one another. We pray for what God is doing in the life of our church. As we pray for those that are hurting and maybe don't have words, this is a time for us to intercede to stand in that gap. But let us pray together lift up our voices to prayer to the one who is listening very intently waiting for us to draw close to him let's pray together father we thank you lord this morning when life doesn't make sense god you are there we thank you father this morning and when life hurts when we feel lost and we don't have explanations father you are there we thank you lord when things just don't seem to go our way and there's no explanation and words just don't seem to make things better father you are there 
Lord, it's that truth this morning that we lean into. We, we, we can say it and we can believe it, Lord, because we've lived it. We are, we are walking testimonies, Lord, of the times in our lives. So many of us can give you story after story, chapter after chapter of God when you've been there. So Lord, today, if we've come wondering where you are or, or struggling with the void that we're feeling or, or dealing with the emotions that don't make sense, we're looking for answers that, that we just cannot find, that the world cannot provide. Help us, God, to know this morning, without a doubt, that you are here. You're with us. You're at work in advance of us. You are doing things even right now, Father, for our good and for our benefit, things that we may never realize or see. But Lord, you're there. And God, we thank you for that today. It's what makes all else that we're going to talk about and do this morning uh, meaningful. It's, it's what's going to help us to leave this place and continue to be who you've called and who you've saved us to be, because we know that you go with us. You go before us, God, and you carry us in these seasons, Lord, and we just can't take another step on our own. Father, we thank you for being there, for who you are, for your holiness. We hallow your name. We lift you up. We begin our time of prayer with, with that idea, with that thought, Lord, because without it, the, the, the other things that we pray for don't seem to make sense. They, 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 they're very selfish. They're, they're, they're inwardly focused. But we begin by turning our eyes to you, then the rest of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us tends to fall into place. We hallow your name. We pray for your kingdom to come. We pray, Father, for your will to be done. That's an easy church thing for us to pray, Lord, but that's a hard prayer to pray for your will to be done. I pray this morning, Lord, for that, that our personal wills that perhaps we're clinging to this morning that we're afraid to let go of, Lord, that today we would just loosen that grip. We, Lord, we would pray for your will to be done, trusting you, putting our, our, our complete and full faith in you, asking God for you to have your way in our lives. God, we live on an earthly, in an earthly realm. But our goal, Father, is to get to heaven. Not, not just to, to walk on golden streets, Lord, but to be with you, to be in your presence, and to be part of, Lord, your kingdom for all of eternity. Lord, I just pray, Father, as, as we pray, not only for your will to be done, Lord, but that we will be reminded that you walk with us on earth. And that someday, Father, that, that, that walk will change locations. This place is not our home. There's another home waiting for us. I pray, Lord, we wouldn't get too comfortable here. We'd recognize there's something bigger, there's something greater, something complete, full, and beautiful, waiting for those who believe in you. Lord, we often begin our times of prayer asking for things, pointing out the stuff that we don't have or the things that we need you to do. And Lord, there, there's a place for that. We, we, we are called to bring our, our needs and our burdens to you, Lord, and we do that after God. We put you in the right posture, in the right place, in the right position. Lord, you already know what we need. <laughs> so for this time, this part of our prayer, it's not about us. It's not about what we need, what we don't have. It's about recognizing, Lord, what we do have, what you have given, what we've already received. Life tends to make more sense. Prayer tends to make more sense. Faith tends to make more sense when we begin by putting you in the right place. Lord, we have some hurting hearts here today. Those that are grieving. 
some that are confused, some that are uncertain about their tomorrow. I just pray you would draw us close. Collect our tears. We hurt, Lord, ultimately because we love. We, we hurt, Lord, because there's been good things that we remember and we recall that we know we're not going to experience any longer on this earth. But we have hope. Those that believe in you, Lord, those who put their hope in you, know that this, whatever life would look like, however many days you give us on this earth, is not the end. Rather, just the beginning. So, Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your faithfulness, for being there for us, being here for us. Help us to hear your voice. As we open your word, as we dig a little bit, show us something new. One thing we learn in scripture, for those that are in your presence, they, they are changed. I pray today we would know that we are in your presence. This conversation we're going to have together, may it change us, may it stir our hearts, may it reveal things in us, Lord, that we might need to seek forgiveness, we might need to let go of, we might, Father, need to go do something in response to what you're going to teach us today. Change us, God, I pray. Add to our story. Go with us, Father. May we always know, wherever you lead us, you're going to be there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been to the store lately, perhaps you've seen it. Now that they've taken away the school supplies, retailers have already moved to the next season of the expunging of dollars from your bank accounts. And the Halloween decorations are already out. My, my kids, one of my kids in particular, has already started looking for what costume, what he's going to dress up as here in just a few months. He can't wait for, for that, that night where he can dress up and pretend to be something that he's not. Uh, he could grab his bag and go ring on your doorbell so that you could put full-size candy bars in his bag. Now, when we, uh, we, we thought, I, I got to be honest with you, if you live in Mill Valley, we were a little disappointed last year. We had these high hopes of this great big neighborhood. We're just going to, these kids are going to have enough candy to last them until they're 16. And it lasted about six days. If that, I'm not quite sure. Because they came from a smaller neighborhood in West Virginia. And in our neighborhood we lived in, there weren't very many children. Uh, maybe it's two or three families that we were aware of that had kids. So a lot of retirees in our neighborhood kind of quiet there, but boy, they knew how to do trick-or-treat. Our kids would come back with almost wheelbarrows full of stuff, and it was, it was a fun night. We, we, we lived in a neighborhood everybody else would drive into to go trick-or-treating. It was a lot of fun. They'd always come back with this bag, kind of different kind of baggage, if you will. We, we've been talking about baggage uh, last week. We're going to continue that conversation for several weeks to come. Uh, we, we all have baggage. We all carry it. Uh, but the other side of, of, of the season we're about to enter into is, is this idea of, of masks, of, of dressing up to be something we're not, of pretending, all to ring a doorbell to receive something that we, we've not done anything to earn or to deserve. It's out of the kindness of people's hearts they give. But then as you, the more doorbells you ring, well, what happens to your trick-or-treat bag is it tends to get heavier. Some of it's good stuff. 
Some of it's not so good stuff. Don't, don't give out that not good candy. It just gets thrown away anyway. Like, come on, come on, stick to the really good stuff. The Reese cups, although in our house, my, one of my kids is allergic. So when you give him Reese cups, you're really giving it to mom. It's kind of a nice thing. <laughs> Snickers, M&Ms, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, those who give out toothbrushes, come on. Apples, eh. You know, I, I get it. No, we have a lot of fun with that time of year. But it's that time of dressing up, I think, that we all can resonate with. The pretending, the imagining, if you will, that we're someone else. That, 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 that facade we can put up to hide behind, to help us perhaps make sense of our baggage, those things in our life that we carry that's caused division or hurt, things that hold us back. We use our baggage as a disguise, if you will. We use it to hide those hurtful moments, hide those wounds that have been inflicted upon us. We allow our baggage to define or, or redefine who we are. We discussed last week how the baggage we carry ultimately separates us from God. We all have it and we all carry it. But what we choose to do with it, that's where the rubber meets the road. And we have a heavenly father. We have a Messiah. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Bring to me the stuff you're carrying. I'll give you rest. I'll take it from you if you're willing to let go of it. And we began this journey by talking about a man in, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis named Jacob. And Jacob's one of my favorite Old Testament characters to, to discuss, to learn about. There's so much in his life so many chapters that we can learn different things from. We look at Jacob from a distance and say, why would never act like that? Yet so often we do. And last week we discussed how Jacob uh, used his brother Esau's hunger to, to barter with him, to make a trade, if you will, a ridiculous trade. And Esau traded his birthright, his inheritance, if you will, which was two times the portion as the first son to, to get... Uh, to, a bowl of what Scripture calls and tells us is a bowl of red, red stuff. Red stuff. A bowl of soup for two times his inheritance. We laugh at that trade of how ridiculous that sounds, but yet many of us today, if we're honest, can, can point to the season in our lives where we are or where we have at one point in time traded what the world offered for our spiritual inheritance. A bowl of red stuff that the world might extend to us for a heavenly inheritance that God has graciously extended to us. See, the baggage that Jacob carries does relate to us. We're willing to have an honest conversation. Today, we're going to talk about the next part of his story. You know, Jacob's story, it, it, this, is un, this is not unfamiliar to you. The unfamiliar part may be putting ourselves in this story. We're going to talk about the power of the spoken word today, how words matter. In our culture, it, it might not be a spoken word. It might be the typed or texted or tweeted word or, or Xed word. Now they've changed their name. But at the bottom, at the end of the, the conversation, the reality of the truth doesn't change. Our words have power. Power to build up or power to tear down. Perhaps you remember on the playground years ago saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Yeah, I'm talking to my crowd. But this I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. 
Now today, though, if I were to go in the playground and listen to words like that, they've gotten a little bit harsher. They've taken a dramatic turn. They cut a little more deeply. They're much more personal. Uh, the, the, the filters that we used to live life by have slowly dissolved away. Now the words our children hear on the playground or at the park, at school, in the hallways, in the fields, don't you wish they were as innocent as that? Psalm 64, verses 2 and 3, the psalmist writes, Hide me from the scheming of the wicked, from the mob of workers of iniquity who sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their bitter words like arrows. Words can build up, or words can tear down. Proverbs 12, verse 18, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, Therefore encourage or edify one another. Build each other up, just as in fact you are doing, Paul writes. We see the impact that words can have all throughout God's word. Words that can, can lift up or words that can tear down. Rudyard Kipling writes, Words are the most powerful drug used by mankind. Words matter. Sharp words make more wounds than surgeons can heal. And they also attribute to him, always keep your words soft and sweet, because one day you may have to eat them. Words matter. And the tricky part about words is once you say them, you can't take them back. They build up or they tear down. Just so you understand a little bit of review, this, this story we're entering into, it all began with Abraham. When God told Abraham, I'm going to change the world, I'm going to bring about a Messiah, and he's going to come from your family. And Abraham at that time didn't have any children. He was like, well, how, is, how are you going to do that, God? How are you going to bring that about? I don't have any kids. And, and God made a promise to Abraham that you will have a son. And, and Isaac became that son, that, that, that fulfilled promise that God made to, to Abraham and to Sarah. And, and Isaac would, would, would meet Rebekah, and they would get married, and they would have twins, and God would, would tell Rebekah that these fighting twins within you, they're, they're two nations, and the older is going to serve the younger. And we talked last week about how that was just a, a flipping upside down of the practice and the culture of that day. And primogeniture was how the older would be the head and the younger would serve, but God said, no, we're going to flip that upside down. The older will serve the younger. Brothers who couldn't be more different jostling and fighting for position in the womb. And out comes Esau, and he's holding his can of Red Bull, followed by Jacob, who's holding on to his Starbucks. We have these two brothers that are just complete opposites. Jacob drove his minivan or his hybrid, and Esau a pickup truck with a lift suspension and squirrel tails on the antenna. I'm from West Virginia. I know what that means. Squirrel tails on the antenna means you've had a good season so far. You let everybody know about it. Two brothers, two very, very different, opposites, two nations. And they would always be doing this. Their whole life began early. Their parents weren't helping. Weren't helping. I'm sorry, uh, Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. They had, they had their favorites. And, and Rebecca had this in her mind, this word that God had given her, how, how the older would serve the younger I can't help but think that all of throughout Jacob's upbringing, she was trying to position him to fulfill this promise that God had given to her. Isaac, he was 40 when he was married. He became a father at 60. He's now about 100 years old, which makes his sons about 40. 
do the math. That's how this stuff works. He's losing his eyesight. He's, he's almost blind. He thinks he's close to dying. In actuality, he would live another 80 plus years. But in this moment, as he feels that he's close to death, there's some important business he's not yet attended to. He hasn't yet completed. And Scripture tells us in, in Genesis chapter 27, when Isaac was old and turning blind, beginning in verse 1, he called for Esau, his older son. My son? Yes, father, Esau replied. I'm an old man now, and I don't know when I may die. <laughs> I hope that when I'm only like just over half my age, I don't start to feel like, oh no, the world's coming to an end, I don't know when I may die. But Isaac feels that his time is short. He calls his oldest son Esau. He tells him, take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. Undoubtedly, Isaac, Rebecca, and, and, and all of their family in camp had heard about the trade that Jacob had brought about from Esau. That's not something you keep quiet. It was official. It was a, a, a legal commitment that Esau had made to sell his birthright to his younger brother. That's not something that you can keep under, under the rug, so to speak. So undoubtedly, had, others had heard about it. So now Isaac still has one thing he can give to his oldest son, his blessing. The blessing in this day we'll talk about in just a few moments was incredibly important. Let's not miss the significance of what Isaac is saying then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. He needed to pass on the blessing of the firstborn. That's what it was called. It was his most important duty as a father to his son. It was, it was completed in a ceremony that included a meal, the meal that he's now asked Esau to go and prepare. Now, what they don't know is outside the tent, Rebecca's listening in, and she overhears. And she translates this to mean, I've got to put my plan into motion. And what we see in verses 5 through 10, is, as Rebecca is kind of listening in, as she goes to Jacob, she says, look, I overheard what your father said to Esau. So here's what we're going to do. Bring me some game, and, and, <clears throat> and, and after Esau's supposed to come back, and he's going to get the blessing from his father. So I'm going to give you some instructions. Go to the flock. <laughs> yeah, Jacob, I'm not sending you out to go hunt. Go to the corral where all of the goats are. Just go pick out a good one. Go, 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 go to the flock and, and, and bring back to me two choice young goats, and I'll prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. If she's learned nothing else, she's learned how to cook and learned what Isaac is like. And she says, then you will take what I cook for you to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. We're going to do all this before Esau gets back, and no one will know. Jacob, he has concerns with this plan. Not with the end result. He likes the idea of receiving the blessing. And not because it's wrong. He's concerned because he's not sure her plan will work. We read in verse 11, But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, My brother Esau is a hairy man, and my skin is smooth. We read in Psalm 55, verse 21, the word smooth also means deceptive, as in a smooth operator. Jacob knows, I, I'm not like him. I don't look like him. I don't sound like him. 
Just because you, you fix dad a, a good dinner, you think that's going to fool him? What if my father catches me, he says in verse 12. He'll see that I'm trying to trick him. Then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. The words matter. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So in verses 13 and 14, we see that Jacob, he went and he got and he brought all action verbs that, that give us an indication that he buys into Rebekah's plan. And while their actions are deceitful and they're cunning and they're lying, ultimately stealing something that doesn't belong to Jacob, and we could sit there and say, well, how wrong this is. But we also take a step back and realize that in culture at this point, there was little instruction of what was right or wrong. The Ten Commandments hadn't been given yet. There's no Levitical law. Uh, there, there's no list of, of, uh, of rules there to follow and not to follow. Up until this point in time, life was about survival, about self-promotion. The only rules that even God's followers had been given was, was don't eat of the fruit in the middle of the garden. We know how that turned out. There's not this list of do's and don'ts. They're just about surviving. So Rebecca's received this word from God that the older will serve the younger. So she's doing everything she can to make sure that she puts the younger in position so that Esau would be able or would have to follow him. Not understanding the consequences of her actions, she's just maneuvering so that she could pass on the promise that God gave to her favored son. Now if Isaac catches Jacob, Jacob was right. Instead of blessing, he would bring a curse upon Jacob. So Jacob's there thinking about himself. Rebecca had already considered this. So she takes the goats that Jacob had brought her, takes the meat and begins to prepare a meal. And she takes the goat skins and starts to fashion a costume for Jacob so that he could dress up and masquerade to be his brother. We talked last week about how Esau came out of his womb and the scripture tells us that he was red and he was hairy. If you can imagine a baby Chewbacca coming out, that, that's kind of what it, it was. So here we got this hairy guy. So she takes the goat's hair, she puts it on Jacob's arms. That just, just seems kind of gross, doesn't it? Just even think about the hair. That's going to fool Isaac? That, that says a lot about Isaac. The boys, it tells a lot about Esau. <laughs> So Jacob's got this costume. He's getting all dressed up. He's really going in with both feet. And Rebecca was willing to be cursed so that Jacob could be blessed. Talk for just a few moments of, of what the importance was behind this blessing. Blessing is used 28 times in Genesis chapter 27. It's important. It's significant. And the, the concept of biblical blessing it is an announcement of favor, of divine favor, of God extending his grace to all areas of one's life. And it also would, would identify the recipient of the blessing with having God's favor upon their life. It was a big deal to be blessed. In the Leviticus, we learn that the firstborn always belonged to God, whether it be the firstborn animal or the firstborn goat, the firstborn sheep or the firstborn son. The tribes of Eli, the, the priests served as a surrogate firstborn of, of all of Israel. So the firstborn in your family was be, would be the one that would receive the blessing. 
And, and what we find is, if you go back to verse 4 in Genesis chapter 27, when, when Isaac says, prepare for me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me so that I may give you my blessing, what he's saying is, literally, I want to give my, my, my being, I'm going to speak it into you. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where we read that the man became a living being when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word being is a Hebrew word, nepes. And man became a living nepes when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So we become a living nepes when God breathes his life into us. Now fast forward to Genesis chapter 27. And what, what Isaac literally says is, I may give you my lepes, my being, my nepes will bless you. I'm passing on this life that God has given to me. It was significant. It mattered. The source of all blessing is God himself, the creator of life. So Jacob steps into this, this very serious encounter with his father and with his brother and now his mother. We see the dysfunction of his family in full display. Jacob walks in to see his dad in, in, in verse 14, and he's really nervous. Can you just imagine? He's got this costume on. He's carrying his food. He's, he's wearing some of Esau's clothes, his best clothes. I just have trouble thinking that Esau even had best clothes. But his best clothes, put them on our younger son, covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins and, 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 and gave Jacob the food. And he goes in and he says, my father. And right away, there's something not quite right. And Isaac says, yes, my son, who is it? As he doesn't recognize the voice, something doesn't sound quite right. And Jacob says to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up. Eat some of the game so that you may give me your blessing. Well, how'd you find it so quickly? I know you're really good at this, but, but that's not normal. You're back already? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Uh-oh. Dad's catching on. And just Jacob's kind of tentatively walking forward, gets to where Esau can touch him. He still was not sure. He feels the hair, but he doesn't recognize him. Are you really my son? I am. And bring me your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. And we begin to see this change in the story. He's deceived his father. Isaac's kind of bought in. He eats. Then he gets close. Verse 27, Isaac kisses him. Smells his clothes. He gets to this point of blessing. He says to, to Jacob, May God give you heaven's dew, and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, those who bless you be blessed. Pretty strong words for a father who is extending to his son the life-giving breath and favor of God. It's important for us to note that blessings, they're not earned. Jacob didn't do anything. Esau hadn't done anything to deserve that blessing. 
But, but Isaac extended it to his son because that's what he had to give. And that's what blessings are. They're graciously given as an outpouring of God's mercy and kindness for those who are in relationship with him, those who are counted among his firstborn. Now, the idea of blessing still continues in our lives today. There's nothing we do that earns them, but God still freely gives them. See, blessing is observed biblically in the context of relationship. We have a relationship with God. God does what fathers do. He blesses his children. In the Old Testament, the understanding of blessing is always under God's control. Consequently, any blessing we view outside of the covenant relationship loses its meaning and its value as being just that, a blessing. When it's spoken out of a relationship with God and given to someone else, then it has value and it has meaning. This is where the spoken word comes into play. It has power. When we are in a relationship with God, we speak words that edify and build up, and consequently we bless. But if we're not where we need to be, then the words we speak also can have a different impact and can tear down. See, what we speak, what even has been spoken to us, what we speak to others puts into motion actions that impact and shape our lives. Words of praise and affirmation, words of condemnation and put-downs, edifying words or discouraging words. You get the picture. We could, we could go back and forth with the, the, the words that we use all morning long. They matter. Child development specialists will, will teach you that the nine most important minutes of your child's day include the first three minutes right after they wake up, the first three minutes after they come home from school, and the last three minutes of the day before they go to bed. Now, moms and dads, I'm going to put you on the spot, but think about that. When you oversleep on a morning and you're scrambling to get ready to get out the door on time, what are the first three minutes of your children's day like? What do they hear? Maybe you've had a rough day. I, I, we understand. We've, we've had long, rough days. The last three minutes, what words do your children hear? Those words that they start their day and end their day with matter. After a long day of school, and yes, you've had a long day of work or a long day at home and, and just doing things that need to be done, those first three minutes after they come home, what do they hear? Encouraging words, words that build up, or words that just edify or come out of the kind of day that we've had, words that tear down. Once words have been spoken, they, they, they can't be put back in the, in the tube. That's kind of the, the toothpaste out of the tube thing that you just can't do it over again. So how we begin our days, how we end them, how, how we meet with them again in the middle, they matter. They matter. The power of blessing is seen and how precious are the words of those that we love and respect. Even as adults or as teenagers, we want words of blessing most from those whom we love. We want to be edified and lifted up by those that we share life with. Moms and dads, parents, tell your daughters they're beautiful. Tell your sons that you love them. Teach them words that our culture tends to stay away from. And, and, and make sure that they know that they're coming from a heart that is genuine and sincere. Husbands and wives, tell your spouse that, 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 that they mean as much to you today as when you were dating. May your last words be good words, words that bless others. Robert Alter is a Hebrew scholar, and he points out that when you're writing in Hebrew, the last word in the sentence is the most important. The last word. Let me jump back to verse 19 of Genesis chapter 27. 
When, when Jacob walks in to, to present himself to his father, when Jacob, who's dressed up as his brother, who's trying to convince and to trick his father, walks in, he says, Jacob says to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. See, Jacob skips over the lie and emphasizes the point of his deception. I am your firstborn. This is not about me becoming Esau. It's about me being recognized as first. I am your firstborn. With, with, we live with many every day that live by this principle, always wanting or needing the last word. We've got to get the last word in because the last word matters. Jacob recognizes this. So he says to his father, not the fact that I'm Esau, which I'm trying to pretend to be, but I'm your firstborn. That's the heart of the deception. Right in verse 32, now Jacob's given his blessing to, I'm sorry, Esau's given his blessing to Jacob. He's received it. He's, he's left the room. And as he's leaving the room, around the corner comes Esau. Esau rushes into his father's tent. He too's prepared some tasty food and brought it to, to Isaac. He says to him, Father, sit up and eat some of my games so that you may give me your blessing. In verse 32, his father asks, who are you? Esau says to him, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. So the last word that Esau uses in this sentence is his own name. So Esau gets it backwards. He emphasizes who he was instead of the significant moment in the giving of the blessing. See, the firstborn, as we've already talked about, receives two times the wealth receives extra attention and affection, carried the family name, would lead the family into the future. See, the blessing says, you are uniquely valuable to me. Jacob entered the tent and said, I'm your firstborn. Esau enters the tent and says, I'm Esau. The two approach it from different perspectives because they're wanting different things. Esau was shallow and spontaneous and impetuous, but he was still the firstborn, but wanted to be known as Esau. Jacob was conniving, quiet, hung around the tents, kind of a mama's boy, wanted to be recognized as the firstborn. They wanted different things. They needed different things. We all want to hear the words that go to the firstborn, that you're unique, you're important, you're worthy. We, we all want that blessed moment. Because the reality is we know deep down we can't bless ourselves. Blessing must come from the outside, from those that we value. So here's Jacob. Had this natural connection to his mother. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's a beautiful thing. But he longed for the approval of his father. And can, can you imagine for a moment? He's got on this goat skin on his arms, and he, he's kneeling down before his dad. His dad puts his hand on the back of his neck, leans in and smells him. Yep, you're Esau. Could you imagine Jacob that moment? Yeah, you're Esau. He looks up and his dad can't see him, but he sees his dad's face and he just sees these eyes. And he's just longing for approval, for acceptance, for being told that you matter, that you're valuable. And all he hears is his dad say, yep, you're Esau. Jacob receives this blessing. And he gets up and he takes off. He gets out of the tent. And Esau comes into the tent after him. And upon introducing himself to his dad, Isaac begins, Scripture tells us, to tremble violently. Imagine the shaking. 
I don't know if he's angry, if he's hurt. I, there had to be so many emotions at this moment. She says, who, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed he will be blessed. Because Isaac knows he can't take it back. He's passed on to him part of his being to Jacob. He's given Jacob the responsibilities to, to lead the family, to carry on the family name. Now he's taken Esau's birthright, and now he's received Jacob's blessing. And in this moment, Esau, upon hearing his words, bursts out with a loud and bitter cry. And even Esau, even Esau gets it. He said, Father, bless me too. Please, you've got to have something left to give me. Jacob went from being ignored to unimportant to essentially stealing what wasn't his. Now, I don't understand always how God works in certain situations. And we might be led to believe, well, why did God bless Jacob's deception? And I think it's easy for us to look at that, but that's really not what happens. And we're going to learn through the rest of Jacob's story that God's still got to do some work in Jacob's life to get Jacob to be who he needs him to be. I do wonder at times if in reality Esau was never going to be that person. So God allowed this to happen so that the promise could be fulfilled. I don't know how to connect all of those dots. But I'm thankful for it. Because if I have to look at my own life and ask God, well, how are you going to make something good out of this? Those are answers I can't always come up with, but I'm glad that he does. He can do it in Jacob's life. In spite of what Jacob carries, he can do it in our lives as well. We want to hear what Jacob ultimately heard. We need to hear it. But what we don't recognize or often fail to realize is to get to that place, there's often wounds that we leave behind us. And the wounds that are inflicted upon us, often we, knowingly or unknowingly, pass on to others. We're all seeking blessing, but what happens when we don't receive the blessing that we need? This is when we insert the baggage of our lives. We start carrying around the stuff that we try to replace the blessing with. Things that we have to have that adds value and importance and uniqueness and worthiness to our lives. If we're lacking positive relationships in our lives, we're lacking the things that we want, we don't have the things that we desire or hunger for, if the needs in our lives aren't fulfilled, how do we fulfill them? Well, we, we, we start filling up the bags. We ring doorbells and ask others to put stuff into our bags to bring us fulfillment. All the while, it gets heavier and we carry stuff around we were never meant to carry. We dress up like someone else and try to be someone we're not. To receive something that we think we have to have that naturally comes to those who are in a living relationship with our Heavenly Father. When we don't receive what we inherently desire, we go, we'll go to other means to get it. You hear that? When we don't receive what we inherently desire, we'll go to other means in order to get it. If you don't have fulfillment in your life, right now we're striving after it in some way. Be it a home, be it a job, be it a family. You, you can fill in your own bag at this point. If, if you have not found the fulfillment that, that, that comes from a relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ, then we're going to continue to try to fill that void with the stuff of this world. 
And the problem with that is that bag never gets full enough. We try to be something we're not, to find the fulfillment that blessing gives. We become Jacob. We deceive, we disguise, we change our voice, and we go through all of this because we came out second, grabbing our brother's heel. He longed for his father's approval, for his love, for his affection, his attention. Maybe right now you're longing for the same things, desperate for someone to lift you up, to edify you to speak into your life. Jacob looked up to the eyes of his father, longing for his approval, for his acceptance. And Jacob saw Isaac looking at him just the way that he wanted. But they also knew deep down he thought he was looking at Esau. His words ring hollow because deep down, Jacob knew they were not meant for him. The same is true for us. Our lives will never be filled by empty blessings we receive when we're dressed up as something we're not, seeking something that is not rightfully ours. We don't find fulfillment that way. Now here's the rest of the story. As Isaac is trembling, realizing he's been duped, he'd had the wool or the, or the goat skin literally pulled over his eyes. It says in verse 35, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, now he's taken my blessing. Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Jacob's name literally means, if you expound his name, it means deceiver. And Jacob is living down to his name in this moment. Esau starts screaming. This king of the wild frontier cries out, Something precious has been taken from him. It didn't bother him that he traded half of half his inheritance to Jacob. What bothers him though now is he's missed out on the affirming words of his father. Bless me too, he cries. See, Esau has his own baggage he carries. He spent years filled with bitter anger set on revenge. Rebecca, after this encounter, would have her own baggage she would carry. She loses the son she loves as Jacob, her favored son, is sent to live with her brother Laban. His brother Esau is sent set on killing him. Isaac now has bags that he has to carry because now he loses both sons, one to deception, one to anger. Jacob loses for now everything as he's on the run, running for his life, literally. Words matter. Blessings are powerful. There's a part of Jacob in each of us that we need to be willing to recognize. It could be this part of Jacob early in his life that's struggling to make sense of it all, or it could be the part of Jacob later in his life who comes to put all the pieces together. But each of us have a part of Jacob in us. We, we are created by God, and there's an inherent need in our lives to be blessed. I think that's part of the God-man relationship. We struggle at times being ourselves, and we have to ask the questions, Why? And ultimately, that answer comes when we recognize where we are in our walk with God. We were created to experience and to live in his favor. We need what we don't deserve. We need the birthright that we've all despised or traded at some point in our lives. We need his grace. And God has seen fit that each of us can relate to him as a firstborn. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God 
the firstborn over all creation, speaking of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus is the firstborn of God. We are conformed into his likeness. That's the masquerade that we should desire. That's the costume we should want to put on most of all, to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus not to imply that God is fooled, but when we become like Jesus, as brothers of Christ, as heirs of the kingdom, we're recognized as firstborn. And we receive not only the birthright, but the blessing that comes from that relationship. Dr. David Busick, General Superintendent of the Church in Nazarene, writes, the son left the father and dressed up like us. You get that? Jesus left God in heaven, dressed up like us, like you and me, so that we could dress up like him. So that we could dress up like Jesus. And in relationship with God through Christ church, we are blessed. As I wrap this up, and I've thrown a lot at you this morning, but I want us to know that your words matter, that blessing matters. So being blessed is not hard, it's not a, not a difficult thing to, to come by. God's not up in heaven holding on to his blessings, waiting for us to earn them so he could just toss them out at us. Blessing is something that comes naturally when we walk in a relationship with him. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives his blessed statements. We call them the Beatitudes. Blessing comes through relationship. Many years ago, I began to ask myself, I wonder if blessing is something we have to ask for. We often pray that God would bless us. Well, that's, not a, that's the wrong prayer. I, I think we're better off asking God to help us in our relationship with him because I believe blessings are a natural result of covenant, of walking with him. God is a God who blesses. If we find ourselves in the right place in our relationship with him, you will be blessed. That's what he does. Esau's loss is birthright and blessing. Birthright about money, influence, and position. Blessing about promise. About being a child of promise. You and I are children of promise today. Jacob didn't yet know that he was favored by God. His actions show that. After decades of searching, of deceiving, of conning, he will come to learn who God is, but more importantly, who he is. He had the birthright. Now he has the blessing. He is the child of promise. He has to wonder, life has to get better soon, right? It takes a while, but he'll get there. Along the way, there's more bags that he has to carry, and those bags are going to teach us more and more, not just about Jacob, but about ourselves. Last week, we talked about how we trade our spiritual birthright for the meaningless things of this world. Today, we have to ask the question, are we dressing up as someone else to receive something that's not ours to have? Truth is, we carry many bags that we were never meant to carry, that were not meant for us. And when we walk with God, we are the children of promise, and we are blessed. As we close today, I invite you to stand with me. And I'm going to invite you to take off the masks. Quit dressing up. Just accept who you are.
Because you are valuable. You are important. You are unique. You are beautiful. And you are loved just the way you are. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we become heirs to the kingdom. We become a child of God. When we walk with him, we receive the blessings that a father loves to give his children. Church, take off your mask this morning. Embrace who you are. Be thankful for it. And watch what God does through you. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. How often, Lord, we're, we're taught and, and we, we pray that, Lord, that you would just bless us as if it's something we have to earn or something that we, we deserve or something we have to beg for. But Scripture teaches something different. It teaches of a God who loves us, who desires, as you did in, in, in the garden, to breathe life into us, to, to give life to our very being, our nepes. And I pray often, God, when we think about blessings, they're often superficial. They're often tangible. They're, they're, they're surfacey, admittedly shallow things. The blessing that you desire to give, the life, Lord, you desire to give, it, it just goes so much deeper than that to our very being. The blessing Isaac gave to Jacob, it spoke to tangible things, but it went much deeper. It talked about relationship talked about leading. It talked about what it looked like to be a child of promise. And I pray today, Lord, we'd get past the superficial. The things this world offers to us, that, that's birthright kind of stuff. That, that, that's trading the tangible for the spiritual, Lord. And I pray that we'd get past that. We'd recognize what it means to be blessed by you. To be favored. To walk with you. To be edified and lifted up by you. Lord, it doesn't begin until we're willing to take off the mask, to quit pretending, to be honest about ourselves, and to receive from you, Lord, what you desire to give to each one who chooses to follow you. I thank you, Lord, for the ones that through the years have done just this. We see it in their lives. We see the fruit of their lives. We see the change, Lord, you've done in their lives. May we, those that are still learning what this means and looks like, they're still struggling with this, look to them, see their example, be encouraged, chase after all that you have for us. Help us not to settle for the red stuff. Help us, God, not to be people that tear down, but rather those who build up. Speak blessings, good words helpful words, words that draw others to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Be blessed. Bless someone else today.